Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is on the show for the second time, although it has been rather a long time since we last spoke. Multi-talented author, artist, comedian, Terry Denton, welcome. Thank you, Maggie. Congratulations on the new gas television show. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's um, <laughs> It's a long, slow excitement, though. It took about five years to get through the system, but um, now that it's there, it's just uh, it's wonderful to just for myself to watch it, to see the character come to life. Tell me a little bit about the cartoon. Um, well, I, it comes straight out of the Garth TV series, and what I had was six. Sorry, Garth's Bub series of books. What I had was six books, um, and Susan Ryan came to me from um, SLR Productions, and she was really interested in doing it, and. It took quite a bit of time just to with these things to get the money together. Um, once they had that, it probably took three years to, to put it put it you know in, into form that it was on air. Um, they did most of that work. I, uh, I I had a choice of being involved or not, and decided no, I wanted to pull back and keep doing the work I was doing with uh, various other authors, and um, and let just trust them to do it well. And they did it really well. And basically, it's it's a little fish, which is. Uh, for, in my mind, it's sort of half uh, half uh, a goldfish, which I had when I was a child, and half um, a sort of a Daffy Duck um, TV character. So someone with a, a lot of, um, instead of being a boring goldfish, uh, an extremely uh, overactive uh, goldfish, hyperactive, in fact, and loud. Um, and it's really just, you know, the TV series is, is the goldfish, the family, um, and various other instincts with animals around the house. And fortunately, it's, uh, they've done it so that it's really funny, um, which is, I sat down watching it with my kids and uh, and they thought it was really funny and so that was that was a relief. Is that your litmus test? Uh, pretty much so, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, watching the, the show and I suppose, did, did you have much to do with it? Did you? Well, I, I was involved in, um, what they would do is send me, as they were working, send me, Stuff. So I went up there with Susan Ryan, and we we just um, we sat around and, and just sort of broadly sketched out the the character, the, the idea of Gasp and, and the world he would be in. And then they started uh, writing stuff, designing the characters, and they sent designs down to me because the characters needed to be an illustrated um, book can be pretty loose. Um, the character changes shape. At various times, but in a TV series, they need a to be able to do it for animation. They need um, and, and by computer, they need a fairly accurate, simple uh, design. So they had to redesign the characters, um, and they had to add more characters too, because they had to do 52 programs. So they needed a whole raft of uh, other characters. I had a cat, a dog, Gasp, the Gasp's owner. That was about it, and another baby fish from next door. So they added a family to it to give it some kind of um, more opportunity for more stories. Um, but basically, they just kept coming back to me with scripts and ideas. And if there's something I didn't like, I could uh, respond. But um, but I let them get on with it. And and in the end, when you were watching it, sitting there and watching it with your children, did did you feel as though your book had come to life, or was this something almost entirely different for you? you know, no, pretty much that the book had come to life. Yeah, that the book. Um, that the, the the series of six developed this character 
you know, fairly well. So, so when I saw him on screen, I thought it was pretty much um, the character that I designed, you know, that I that I had come to love. Um, it's different. It's always going to be different, but um, but yeah, I, w I was really happy with what she had done and, and the feel of the whole program. And then, I, I've been a real fan of animation over the years. I sort of grew up wanting to be an animator at one stage, but Spon SpongeBob SquarePants is one that uh, I've watched with my kids over the years, um, and it has a feel of that too, a sort of a sense of on the edge of anarchy which is what kind of thing I wanted in the books. In fact, you know, when I wrote the books, what I was trying to do, I'd written a lot of books before that, but I'd never felt that they were my voice. And so I, when I wrote Gasp, um, I had about a month when I was had, had no work all of a sudden, so I sat down and wrote these three stories about the fish. And they had an energy and... Um, and a humour that I hadn't really been able to put into a book before, and that didn't exist in kids' books much, I didn't think, um, that more affected the kind of energy and humour in TV, in animation. So it was a kind of an exciting thing for me, those books. Mm. So you almost saw it as an animation as you were creating the You almost saw it as an animation as you were creating the books. Yeah, yeah. They, they read very much as that, yeah. Mm. So... Um, is, is Gasps is he based on somebody you know? Is he your voice? No, look, it's a funny thing. It's, it has a little bit of uh, my kids in there, and there's a little bit as a set of um, Daffy Duck, which I used to watch as a child and in those Warner Brothers cartoons. Um, but mainly he's an invention. Um, it's just the idea of getting a loud character. And he's actually the voice inside my head a lot of the time. Because um, they, they were so easy to write, I just sat down and they just kind of spewed out. Once I put him into a position, into a situation, the whole thing just kind of spewed out. As, as there was a, a voice that was in my head that was his voice. And it's I, kind of weird. I said, yes, um, channeling yourself into a goldfish. <laughs> that's right, yeah. It's kind of it's very bizarre. But I suppose that's kind of a freedom, too. I mean, you, you do tend to use animals a lot in your work. Um, do you find that? Is there a freedom in, in actually not having it be human? That, that, you know, animals can get away with things. Certainly goldfish can get away with things. Yeah, in a way, I guess you enter a total fantasy world where, uh, when you sit down with the publisher, they will say, oh, yeah, well, maybe um, you know, I'm not sure a child would do this or I'm not sure a child should do this. Or if a child is, you know, um, standing on a high wire going between two houses, this, you know, maybe it's it's something, a bad message that you're sending here. You know, that's often the problem. Whereas with a goldfish, it can do stuff like that. And no one is going to uh, imagine that um, a child will do that. It, yeah, it just gives you a freedom. Um and a freedom to change its form at will, um, if you wish. Yes. So it is, it's really that cartoon world. Mm. Plus, there is a nice play, isn't there, between the goldfish and his owner? Um, you know, there's that, um, you know, his little sort of, um, I guess, crush that he's got on his um, yeah. female owner. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. And, and I suppose a lot of children have goldfish, so that's something they can relate to, too. Yeah, and the idea that um, no matter what your pet is, uh, when you're not there, what's the pet doing is a, is a powerful thing to reckon. <laughs> <laughs> a nice bit of fantasy there. Yes.
So who aside from ga- gas in the series? I have to say gasp. My children have taken me to task on my gasp. Um, <laughs> so who aside from gasp was your favorite character? Were, were there any that you, you particularly were drawn to? Oh, look, I love the dog, Bill Box. Um, I love the whole whole idea of him. Um, and he comes pretty much from the original um, from the original book. There was a dog, but the dog in this, the need for in in my book, the dog was was a was just a prop at times. Um, whereas here, he's taken on a full character, and he's just gorgeous. So I suppose he's apart from Garth, he's my my favourite. <laughs> and I know sitting down with a couple of my kids when we first got the DVDs, um, they they just he was so gorgeous. He's the ultimate dumb dog, really. <laughs> and the, I suppose the idea of a goldfish and a dog, too, playing off one another is quite, um, you know, there are quite a lot of fun possibilities with it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's really, you know, in the end, it's all a bit of a chess game. You, to fill the 52 quarter-hour programs, you need um, you need a lot of... Uh, you, you need the characters to work well, and, and and when I was talking with Susan, Suzanne Ryan at um, SLR Productions, she was saying that what they did there was was carefully look at the books and tweak the characters so each of them had a strength that was needed, but also a weakness that was needed as well. Um, so giving them, you're sort of designing them as um, in that way so that you get lots of story possibility from them. Um, I, and I hadn't sort of thought of it that mathematically before, really. It's um, and it's sort of actually been a feeding back into my own story writing now. That idea that um, you, you do deliberately feed—you could have a whole host of characters, each with strengths and weaknesses—that somehow all of them together are a perfect character, almost. So, so did, did SLR, did Susan Ryan or, or SLR Productions in general come up with the plots for each show? Or were they lifted straight out of the books? Well, initially, the, each of the six books um, appear in there in some form, um, often as part story ideas. Um, but they had a team of writers who just went, who just worked on it, um, you know, for a couple of years, just writing the 52 episodes. Which is why animation works, really. You know, you you might start with a strong idea, but um, the relentless number of uh, stories you need to put a series together means that you um, you do need a raft of writers. And and I I know uh, I talked to Lee Hobbs a bit, who did the old Tom series, and um, he was involved on that quite a lot. Um, but I think he found it really hard work, and it took him away from his usual work. And in the end, I suspect he would have preferred not to have done it in the end. So it was good talking to him about that because it made up my mind that I would uh, I would stay back from that writing process yes, and get on with my own work. Yes, um, and I guess you and me have some similarities too in, in, I guess, just in the quirky, subversive nature of your characters. Yeah, yeah, and, and somehow the animal characters allow you to do that. But he, he's done that with like, humans in the... In the freak series, <laughs> right? Actually, I think as humans are the freaky ones, and the um, the animals, even the strange ones, are uh, fairly normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, does it feel at times like um, you, you know, 
in addition to your own very real children, that uh, all of your characters are children as well, that you sort of spawned multitudes, particularly now that they're out and, you know, creating their own adventures with one another that you're not actually writing. Yeah, I do very much feel like that. Yes, I've left home and um, grown up and gone out in the big world. <clears throat> I do feel very close to them. I, I did a series of Wombat and Fox, and mm. at some point um, we sort of... Uh, it became difficult because the publisher, um, I wanted them to be quite naughty characters, and the publisher sort of held me back and said, no, maybe we won't do so well And if they're naughty. And so we, we, I just sort of softened them a lot. In the end, the publisher said, ah, oh, you know, maybe they didn't work because they weren't naughty enough, um, which is very frustrating, and, and they stopped the series after three. Um, but I found that really difficult because I come to, to really love those, um, the Wombat and the Fox characters, um, and I sort of, you know, there's this itching to to use them more. You know, I, it's almost like you've killed off your own character. It's um, it's hard. <laughs> you've got guilt about it. Hey? Yeah, but I kind of miss them. Uh, there's sort of possibilities that um, I want to know what they're doing in a way. It's, uh, it's a strange thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, I suppose that's a guide to you know what might might come along next. A little um, advanced preview, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and just that idea of, of being very comfortable using animal characters, you know, that you mentioned before, um, so comfortable that I really miss them when I'm not using them. Um, I, I was talking to a guy called Michael Wagner who did a series called Max Rumble, um, a little footy books. Um, and and he's also had to move to another publisher with those, and he's at the moment rebuilding them in the same idea, but rebuilding new characters. Um, it's a kind of weird process. You do get close to them. It's kind of strange, but you do get close to them. Yes. Now, talking about naughty, um, <laughs> you know, you've um, I know you've done other cross media work, and uh, it doesn't get much naughtier than um, the bad book <laughs> that you did with Andy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you know, cross media work such as the the board game, which um, which I love, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I actually haven't played the board game yet. We spent so much time um, um, getting it up, and uh, you know, I did a lot of drawing work for it. And when it finally came, it actually they missed the Christmas deadline. They they got them to Mel to to, this, to to Australia three or four days before Christmas, I think it was. So it was a bit of a disaster, I think, for them for that. But um, so I still haven't settled down enough to sit there and play it. Yes. Oh, it's fantastic. We've we've it, had it on a, an endless loop, really. We got it before Christmas, so uh, we had it. When on, did you get it? Oh well, I'm I'm kind of friends with the people who made it. Ah, okay. They're, they're my neighbours as well. I have to give them ah. a hug. So um, I did promise to mention the very bad yeah. game in this um in this interview, and uh, and I just love it because it's so subversive, I think, and uh, you know. It's so anti-sweet, which um, particularly having boys, you know, they just love that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. And 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 I I was quite awestruck with their process of going of, of building it into a into a game because I remember trying to do a game years ago with uh, Paul Jenkins and T. Greenwood, and it was such a difficult process. And uh, I thought they did it really. This one worked really well, you know, the, just in that working process. Although as I said, I still haven't had time to play actually play it. Yeah, we'll try it with the kids. See if they um, if they get yep. the, uh, the if they're the ultimate arbiters of whether it's uh, very good or very bad. Yeah, they they always uh, kind to me, but um, I can tell. <laughs> so, do you enjoy seeing your work morph into something you know something three D really? 
Um, oh, yeah, immensely. Yeah, I, it's um, and I think it's also part of um, it's part of making a living in a way that the ability for it to do that. But it's just it's just great to, to see Garth come to come to life like that. It's fantastic. And I know talking to Andy, you know, the seeing the bad book in that form, in that game form, is a really exciting thing. And I think um, again, you know, when I work with Andy, we, we've often talked about the idea of um, sort of applications of or, or some form. And, and when you look at the ebook, the ability to combine um, something like the bad book. Where the illustrations um, more um, sort of come to life and animate. Um, so I look forward. I, I think that will be an interesting part of the process where writers and illustrators can actually um, create books that have these other moving and uh, other other sort of dimensions to the book. Do you know what I mean? Um, yes, for sure. And I think that's. Um you talked a little bit earlier too about this notion of you know character possibilities. And I guess that's one of the things that we've always liked in my household about your work, you know, is this idea of multiple paths or bringing the reader into the story production almost. Yep, yeah. Um, and, and Story Maze is the best example of that. And I've, I've often thought with with Story Maze it would just lend itself so well, well to an e-book thing where you can, um, when you do go into those comic strip parts, it can be actually animated and but the idea of a three, sort of a three-dimensional maze, um, a story maze that would be three-dimensional. I don't know actually how it would be mind, mind-blowing to try and work out how to make it work. But we, we the idea of being able to somehow do that in an e-form. Yeah, well, I suppose it's it's perfectly feasible technologically. It's just a matter of how you get that out to the public. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I do know I sort of. Talk to people who have done um, applications recently, and it is hideously expensive process for the for the returns that they've got. Yes, but you could even get kids to to actually write aspects of it as part of the process, and you know, then it becomes not only a book for reluctant readers, but also for reluctant writers. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm. So you could, <laughs> that's a very good idea. We're, we're creating on the spot here. <laughs> You, you do a lot of collaborations, and, and not just um, with Andy, although that's been a, quite a long-running one for you, um, multiple books with him, but also Mem Fox, Margaret Wilde, Andrew Datto, and, you know, I could go on and on and on. Yeah. Um, talk to me a bit about the collaborative process for you. Um, I mean, are they jobs for hire, or do you do you actually, um, you know, feel a strong creative extension through those collaborations? Well, well it, it depends, but uh, I've, I've just done two picture books with Margaret Wilde. Um, we did one called Leo Little Seahorse, and um, that that was a typical kind of collaboration, picture book collaboration, where the text comes. And what what you do, what I'm basically doing is reading her text, you know, a couple of dozen times, and then and then sitting down and roughing out ideas, and then showing it to publishers, showing it to Margaret, um, reworking the roughs, reworking the text. In that case, you know, we did a lot of it after we saw how it looked. Um, in, in little sto- in storyboard and dummy book fashion um, um, form, we would then rework the text quite a bit, um, uh, aspects of the story and that just weren't quite working, including Leo not standing out enough. And so we, it is fairly collaborative that kind of um, that, that 
picture book thing. Generally, um, working with Andy is something different altogether where we, we will go away the last couple of books. We're working on one now called The 13-Story Treehouse. And we did it for the bad book and, and for the um, for the body book as well. We, we went away for a week and storyboard uh, storyboarded the whole book. Um, just you know had a, had a basically a um, an ideas week where we threw in ideas, um, uh, tried to find a form for the book, and, and then we came back. Andy spent the next six months uh, writing writing the book, and we had quite a lot of toing and throwing in that process. And then it came to me to illustrate. So it's it's just been um, really intensive. Uh, the two of us building a book together, which uh, which is really great fun. Um, and his wife Jill is also involved in the process. Um, it's great fun. Um, and uh, the book, you know, what what we end up with is usually something totally different to what we begin with at the beginning of that process. Very exciting process, really. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is really. It's it's an exhilarating thing, and we often say that the most exciting part of it is that part where you where you're doing the idea building, um, because because anything can happen in that process. Um, and, and the one we we went away and we we worked on this treehouse idea. We did that over two years ago now and, and I drew this drawing of the treehouse which Andy just fell in love with and then last year we went away and we came up with a, a, a different story idea um, which we were going to run with this year and then suddenly his wife went to the dentist and the dentist said um, oh how's that treehouse book going and Jill came back and said the dentist asked me about the treehouse book and Andy said the dentist asked you about the treehouse book God, it must be a good idea so he came back to the treehouse book and rang me up and said we're doing the treehouse book so it's um yeah but but you know it's it's that excitement of just building ideas and um and then the long slog of uh, of actually realizing them and usually my deadlines on those are incredibly uh uh difficult you know tight timelines but that as kind of adds to the excitement in a way yes i suppose by the time you get to that timeline process are you pretty clear about what it is that you have to do yeah Except Andy keeps changing his mind. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, do you kind of brainstorm the jokes as well? I mean, do you know? Do you kind of run the mummy mummy stuff off each other? And <laughs> yeah, well, uh, actually, the mummy mummy one in particular, and and some of the those uh, those other ones that came from uh, from memory, you know, from our own childhood. But uh, Jill and Andy do a lot of that too. They'll sit around once uh, once they have a framework, you know, they'll just sit around at home and. Uh, and remember stuff, and and but it also builds the poetry. Um, Jill has a go at writing some stuff, but uh, theirs is a very interesting collaboration because Jill is um, being an editor. She, she Andy will be get stuck with something usually, and and sometimes we're working together. He'll get stuck with something, and he'll ring up Jill and say, "I'm stuck with this one," and uh, and sort of email it to her, and she'll she'll uh, sit there at home uh, working away on it. So they they um, it's quite a a rich process, <laughs> but yeah, um, the, the brainstorming thing is a really important part of it. Mm. Stuff comes from anywhere. Now, there's in all of your work. I think there's at least in all of your children's work. There's a, a zany side, and and I think that's what children love. Why do you think children love zany so much? I don't know. I, I think it's um, it's that word um um, uh, uh, um. 
I've forgotten the word, um, you know, um, where um, it's anarchy. I think they just love anarchy. Um, and I don't know, entirely know why. Um, but I know as I, when I was growing up, I grew up in a family of five boys and and anarchy was uh, part of the world we lived in. Um, it's just that playing with the rules, playing with order. Um, if the world could be uh, could be different, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> Do you think also it's maybe because you know they, there's they live in a world where I guess you know school is structured, parents are structuring, and zany is something maybe that belongs just to them. It's kind of even when you're an adult, the zany side is the child side, isn't it? Yeah, I guess that's right. Um, and I guess I suppose that's what I was trying to say when I was talking about anarchy. Yeah, that's that's it. It's 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 a counter to the to the orderly life we live in. Mm. We live, um, and it uh, yeah maybe that's empowering that uh, in their mind you can overturn all that responsibility and um, you can step away from that briefly. Yes. Um, you know what if the world was upside down kind of thing, and. Uh, and that's a delicious thing. It's that nonsense humour too. I know Andy and I talk about this a lot. Things like Alice in Wonderland probably started it, but that whole idea of um, it is it is funny because it's funny, but it doesn't have any other purpose other than to make us laugh, to turn our world upside down. Um, and that's a really valuable thing. Yes, yeah, so I suppose too it's, you know, not entirely unreal when you start to look at science and physics and um you know sure yeah you know yep. our, our experienced reality is very linear but um you know we know if, if we study anything at all that um the world's not really linear you know time doesn't really go forward and you know dreams are crazy too so yeah yeah but you do do some very serious um grown-up paintings talk to me a little bit more about your other art well there's a couple of Things about that. I'm doing a book at the moment, which is which is still a book, but it's um it's the the story of Jandamara, the um the Northwest warrior. You know, you familiar with that story? No, no. Um, he's uh when they brought cattle to the northwest of Western Australia, um they they spread the cattle over the Bunaba lands, and the Bunaba people were not happy about having the cattle spread over their lands. Um, on one on one level, and on the other level, they thought mm, free food. They started eating the cattle. Um, so there, there great friction developed between the um, the, uh, the the white people and 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 the Bunaba people. And Jandamara led a rebellion for about three or four years um, until until he was finally killed. But um, but it's a fantastic story of um, of of black resistance to to white uh, invasion. I'll use the word invasion and. Um, and we're doing. I'm doing this with Mark Greenwood, who's written a lot of history. From he's from Fremantle, um, the, the the Green Sash, and Simpson the Donkey, and various other stories. Mm. And we're doing this Jandamara one as a kind of a graphic novel. Um, and so that's exciting, and that's that's very much a, you know quite a powerful operatic kind of story. Mm. So that that's an interesting one. Um, my own painting. I'm also working up an exhibition of. Um, a one-man exhibition in in Collingwood for um, <laughs> part too close for the end of July, and um, that painting is it tends to be quite abstract. It's about colour um, and and just 
just shape and color and rhythm um, and purely uh, purely coming from the imagination no and, and why it's such a wonderful thing to do is because I'm not thinking as I am when I'm doing books of, of who my audience is but it's paintings that um, that please me and hopefully will please other people because of that but it's, it's about it's purely about um, color rhythm and and shape Mm. And emotion, I suppose, as well. And, and very interesting, yeah, it's about the emotional impact of colour, you know, which is something I'm using all the time in my picture books in particular, but it's it's exciting to um, to be doing these paintings with no narrative um, uh, point to them, really. Yes, to be, to be freed from the plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, to be, to be free of plot and just uh, play with... Um, the material of, of vision, really. Mm. Yeah, so that's exciting. It's it's also daunting because it's a, a heavy deadline on top of all the other deadlines. Yeah, so it sounds like you've got an, an awful lot of, you know, many different projects coming to fruition right now. Yeah, well, well the book with Andy, I, I need to finish that uh, end of May, so we're about to meet in a couple of days to um, just finalise all of that. And... Um, and the Chandamara, I've got till the end of November to finish that, so that's quite a long deadline, but it's a tough, tough book. Um, so, yeah, there's a bit happening. <laughs> and and a future project. Andy's always working a couple of projects ahead too. So do you, do you have a wish list, or are you pretty well, um, you know, living that wish list at the moment? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I did a book last year called um, Terry Denton's bumper book of silly things to do and and I really enjoyed that that was something I've always wanted to do a book on purely on drawing and, and ideas just trying to get kids um, just using almost stick figure to begin with just getting kids drawing um, expressing through drawing but in, in the simplest way and um, I want to do more of that um, so that's kind of almost an educational thing just but yeah look there is uh, I have stories I want to write I'm it's always frustrating because the work with Andy is, takes precedence and it means I don't get to write the stories I want to write, but I'm going to have a long life, maybe. I'll get around to it. <laughs> I suppose there are worse problems. Yeah, there's worse problems. And I mean, you're really enjoying the painting at the moment. Too. That's that's taking up a lot of time. And it's that's, I, I find that really enjoyable because I, I don't know what I'm doing and to be working that on that level is an exciting thing, you know, just beyond your comfort zone. Yeah, that's wonderful. Look, um, I'm afraid that's all we have time for. We could probably keep going for another few hours, but you've got a deadline. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, It's a pleasure, Maggie. And uh, next time we'll pick up our rescheduled show with Sue Collier, who's the co-author of The Complete Guide to Self-Publishing. Please join us once again then. Thank you very much. Bye for now.